Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Monday, February 13th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. That would be episode 166. Um, I am Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find our podcast at podcasts, that's with an S, dot strivingforeternity.org. Um, I would definitely recommend you get over there. There's wonderful, wonderful podcasts, lots of them. And believe me, if you get over there and find somebody you'd rather, or a couple of somebody you'd rather listen to than me, I'm perfectly okay with that because believe me, I've got four different ones over there right now that I'm listening to. And the only reason it's not more is because I'm struggling to find time to fit the others in. Because uh, believe me, there are many more I want to listen to. Um, so I definitely encourage you to do that. Um, I do want to let you know um, and point out again the last link in our show notes. That is for the Vale Valley Baptist Church Give, Send, Go campaign. Uh, what we're trying to do is we're looking to rapidly pay off our mortgage so that we can shift gears and commence establishment f- within our community and for our community of a Christian classic education-based school. Uh, we want to get that up to give our give an alternative to our community members. I mean, not just in our church, but all around us. Give them an alternative to some of the things they're running up against. Um, and it, particularly for some of those that want to homeschool but just can't figure out a way to do it. Uh, we want to provide them someplace where they're comfortable having their children educated. Um, so go ahead and click on the link. Go take a look. There's good description and everything, more description than I'm giving you here. I would definitely encourage you to go read through that. And then we ask three things of you. We ask you to pray for us as we uh, as we head forward to do this to ensure that what we are doing is God's will and not ours. We would ask you to prayerfully consider giving, and then we would ask you to pass the link along so that others can do the same thing. All right. So, um, and I, I do want to let you know. Actually, I'm recording this Sunday morning. Morning. Um, I, I realized, you know, usually I record it the night before, but. I realized that we don't actually watch the Super Bowl anymore. I, I won't, and I definitely won't watch the ads and any of that stuff. We are getting together as a family, and I realized I was going to really going to struggle to try to get this out to be ready Monday morning for you. Um, so I thought I'd go ahead and jump on, and I'm you know um, doing this with you actually puts me in a godly mindset. So what better way to start out a Sunday morning than doing this for you and with you? So with all that said. Let's go ahead and open up our time this morning with prayer, like we always do. And with it being rec- with us recording for Monday, we're going to do it with the second day morning prayer. It's called God over all. Let's pray. O God, all sufficient, thou hast made and upholdest all things by the word of thy power. Darkness is thy pavilion. Thou walkest on the wings of the wind. All nations are nothing before thee. One generation succeeds another, and we hasten back to the dust. The heavens we behold will vanish away like the clouds that cover them. The earth we tread on will dissolve as a morning dream. But thou, unchangeable and incorruptible, art forever and ever. God over all, blessed eternally. Infinitely great and glorious art thou. 
We are thy offspring and thy care. Thy hands have made and fashioned us. Thou hast watched over us with more than parental love, more than maternal tenderness. Thou hast holden our soul in life, and not suffered our feet to be moved. Thy divine power has given us all things necessary for life and godliness. Let us bless thee at all times, and forget not how thou hast forgiven our iniquities, healed our diseases, redeemed our lives from destruction, crowned us with loving kindness and tender mercies, satisfied our mouths with good things, renewed our youth like the eagles. May thy holy scriptures govern every part of our lives, and regulate the discharge of all our duties, so that we may adorn thy doctrine in all things. Amen. All right, and our morning devotion for February 13th uh, from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. The text is from 1 John 3, 1 and 2. Behold, what manner of manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. Consider who we were and what we feel ourselves to be even now when corruption is powerful in us, and you will wonder at our adoption. Yet we are called the sons of God. What a high relationship is that of a son, and what privileges it brings, what care and tenderness the son expects from his father, and what love the father feels towards the son. But all that, and more than that, we now have through Christ. As for the temporary drawbacks of... I'm sorry... Was that right? Yeah. As for the temporary drawback of drawback of suffering with the elder brother, this we accept as an honor. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. We are content to be unknown with him in his humiliation, for we are to be exalted with him. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. That is easy to read, but it is not so easy to feel. How is it with your heart this morning? Are you in the lowest depths of sorrow? Does corruption rise within your spirit and grace seem like a poor spark trampled underfoot? Does your faith almost fail you? Fear not, it is neither your graces nor feelings on which you are to live. You must live simply by faith on Christ. With all these things against us now, in the very depth of our sorrow, wherever we may be, now as much in the valley as on the mountain, beloved, now are we the sons of God. Ah, but you say... See how I am arrayed, my graces are not bright, my righteousness does not shine with apparent glory, but read the next. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. The Holy Spirit shall purify our minds, and divine power shall refine our bodies. Then we shall see him as he, as he is. Well, there you go. All right, we're going to get into our reading this morning. Uh, our reading's going to start in Exodus 35, verse 10. Exodus 35, verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord. And let everyone wise at heart among you come and make all that Yahweh has commanded, the tabernacle, its tent, and its coverings, its clasp and its boards, its bars, its pillars, and its bases, the ark and its poles, the mercy seat and the curtain of the screen, the table and its poles and all its utensils, and the beard and the, sorry, and the bread of the presence, the lampstand also for the light and its utensils and its lamps and the oil for the light, and the altar of incense and its poles and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense and the screen for the doorway at the entrance of the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with its bronze grating, its poles and all its utensils, the laver and its stand, 
the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases, and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle, and the pegs of the court and their cords, the woven garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons to minister as priests. Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel went out from Moses' presence, and everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit was willing came and brought the contribution to Yahweh for the work of the tent of meeting, and for all its service, and for the holy garments. Then all whose hearts were willing, both men and women, came and brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and bracelets, all articles of gold. So did every man who waved it as a wave offering of gold to Yahweh. And every man who had in his possession blue and purple and scarlet material and fine linen and goat's hair and ram skin, dyed red and porpoise skins, brought them. Everyone who could raise up a contribution of silver and bronze brought the contribution to Yahweh. And every man who had in his possession acacia wood for any work of the service brought it. All the women wise at heart spun with their hands and brought what they had spun, in blue and purple and scarlet material, and in fine linen. And all the women whose heart stirred <clears throat> and wisdom spun the goat's hair. And the sorry, and the rulers brought the onyx stones and the stones for setting for the ephod and for the breastpiece, and the spice and the oil for the light, and for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense. <clears throat> the sons of Israel, all the men and women whose heart was willing to bring material for all the work which Yahweh had commanded through the land of Moses to do, brought a free will offering to Yahweh. Then Moses said to the sons of Israel, See, Yahweh has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, in wisdom, in discernment, and in knowledge, and in all craftsmanship, to devise designs for working in gold, and in silver, and in bronze, and in the cutting of stones for settings, and in the carving of wood, so as to do well in every work of the thoughtful design. He also put in his heart to teach both he and Oholiab, the son of Ahissamach of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with wisdom in their heart to do every work of an engraver and of a designer and of an embroiderer, in blue and in purple and in scarlet material and in fine linen and of a weaver as those who do every work and make designs. All right, Exodus 36, and I need some coffee. Sorry, didn't mean to slurp in your ear there, ear there for a minute. All right, Exodus 36. Now Bezalel and Aholiab and every person wise at heart to whom Yahweh had given wisdom and discernment to know how to do all the work of the service of constructing the sanctuary shall do in accordance with all that Yahweh has commanded. Then Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every person wise at heart to whom Yahweh had given wisdom, everyone whose heart stirred him to come to the work to do it. And they received from Moses the entire contribution which the sons of Israel had brought to do the work in the service of the sanctuary. And they still continued bringing him freewill offerings every morning. And all the wise men who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work which he was doing. And they said to Moses, The people are bringing much more than enough for the service of the work which Yahweh commanded us to do. So Moses commanded... And a proclamation was passed throughout the camp, saying, Let no man or woman any longer do the work for the contributions of the sanctuary. Thus the people were restrained from bringing any more. Indeed, the material they had was sufficient, and more than enough for all the work to do it. And all those wise at heart among those who were doing the work made the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twisted linen and blue and purple and scarlet material, with cherubim, the work of a skillful designer. Bezalel made them. The length of each curtain was twenty-eight cubits, and the width of each curtain four cubits. All the curtains had the same measurements. 
He joined five curtains to one another, and the other five curtains he joined to one another. He made loops of blue on the edge of the outermost curtain in the first set. He did likewise on the edge of the curtain that was outermost in the second set. He made 50 loops in the one curtain, and he made 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that was in the second set. The loops were opposite each other. He made 50 clasps of gold and joined the curtains to one another with the clasps, so the tabernacle was one unit. Then he made curtains of goat's hair for a tent over the tabernacle. He made 11 curtains in all. The length of each curtain was 30 cubits and 4 cubits the width of each curtain. The 11 curtains had the same measurements. He joined the five curtains by themselves and the other six curtains by themselves. Moreover, he made 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that was outermost in the first set, and he made 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that was outermost in the second set. He made 50 clasps of bronze to join the tent together so that it would be a unit. He made a covering for the tent of ram skin dyed red and a covering of porpoise skins above. Then he made the boards of the tabernacle of acacia wood standing upright. Ten cubits was the length of each board and one and a half cubits the width of each board. There were two tenons for each board fitted to one another. Thus he did for all the boards of the tabernacle. And he made the boards for the tabernacle twenty boards for the south side. And he made forty bases of silver under the twenty boards, two bases under one board for its two tenons, and two bases under another board for its two tenons. Then for the second side of the tabernacle on the north side he made twenty boards, and their forty bases of silver, two bases under one board, and two bases under another board. For the rear of the tabernacle to the west he made six boards, and he made two boards for the corners of the tabernacle at the rear, and they were separated beneath, but were together at their completion at the top, at the first ring, thus he did with both of them for the two corners. And there were eight boards with their bases of silver, sixteen bases, two and two I'm sorry, two bases under every board. Then he made bars of acacia wood, five for the boards of one side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the boards of the other side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the boards of the tabernacle for the rear side of the wet, uh, to the west. And he made the middle bar to pass through in the center of the boards from end to end. He also overlaid the boards with gold and made their rings of gold as holders for the bars and overlaid the bars with gold. Moreover, he made the veil of blue and purple and scarlet material, and fine twisted linen. He made it with cherubim, the work of a skillful designer. And he made four pillars of acacia for it, and overlaid them with gold, with their hooks of gold. And he cast four bases of silver for them. And he made a screen for the doorway of the tent, of blue and purple and scarlet material, and fine twisted linen, the work of a weaver. And he made its five pillars with their hooks, and he overlaid their tops and their bands with gold. But their five bases were of bronze. All right, Matthew 27, uh, verses 32 through 66. Let me scroll down to find it. There we go. Um, no, that's 27, sorry. 32 through 66. All right. And as they were coming out, they found a man of Cyrene named Simon, whom they pressed into service to bear his cross. Sorry, I need some coffee here. Oh, sorry, not quite <clears throat> awake enough, so a lot of phlegm. All right, sorry, continuing on in verse 33. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they gave him wine to drink mixed with gall. And after tasting it, he did not want to drink. And when they had crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves by casting lots. And sitting down, they began to keep watch over him there. And above his head, they put up the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. At that time, two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. 
And those passing by were blaspheming him and shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the sanctuary and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him and saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now. If he delights in him, I'm sorry, if he delights in him, for he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who had been crucified to him were also insulting him with the same words. Now from the sixth hour of, I'm sorry, now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of those who were standing there, when they heard it, began saying, This man is calling for Elijah. And immediately one of them ran, and taking a sponge, he filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed, and gave him a drink. But the rest of them were saying, Let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the sanctuary was torn in two, from top to bottom. And the earth shook, and the rocks were split. And the tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city, and appeared to many. Now the centurion and those who were with him keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, became very frightened, and said, Truly this was God's Son. And many women were there looking on from a distance, who had followed Jesus from Galilee while ministering to him. Among them was Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Now when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea, named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and laid it in his own tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb and went away. And Mary Magdalene was there, and the other Mary sitting opposite the grave. Now on the next day, the day after the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that when he was still alive, that deceiver said, After three days I am to rise again. Therefore order for the grave to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come and steal him away, and say to the people, He has risen from the dead, and the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go, make it as secure as you know how. And they went and made the grave secure, and along with the guard they set a seal on the stone. All right. Psalm 34, verses 1 through 10. Of David, when he feigned madness before Abimelech, so that he drove him away and he departed. I will bless Yahweh at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in Yahweh. The humble will hear it and rejoice. O magnify Yahweh with me, and let us exalt his name together. I inquired of Yahweh, and he answered me, and delivered me from all that I dread. They looked at him, and were radiant, and their faces will never be humiliated. This poor man called out, and Yahweh heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of Yahweh encamps around those who fear him, and rescues them. O taste, and see what that Yahweh is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear Yahweh, you his saints, for there is no want to those who fear him. 
the young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who inquire of Yahweh shall not be in want of any good thing. All right, and finally, Proverbs 9, verses 7 and 8. He who disciplines a scoffer receives disgrace for himself, and he who reproves a wicked man receives injury for himself. Do not reprove a scoffer, lest he hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give knowledge to a wise man. I'm sorry, I just went on into verse 9. So, that is our reading for the day. Uh, thank you for spending this time with me. I, I appreciate it very much. Um, I, I, I indicated last evening, but again, we've we've finally topped a thousand listens across all the episodes. Um, I'm very grateful for that. Um, it doesn't sound as, it's not really as big as maybe it sounds though. I don't know that a thousand sounds very big. Um, I'm still relatively new to doing this. Um, but considering we've done, you know, this is episode 166, that's only a certain amount of views or listens per episode, but I'm grateful for those. Um, again, I'm not doing this for any kind of, uh, any kind of pat on the back or honor or glory for me. This is all for the glory of God. Um, and it is, it is to provide for um, the sanctification of the saints and for the edification and for the, the preparation for the unsaved so that they will be ready for the work of the Holy Spirit to bring them to a saving faith in Christ because that's what's most important. And if this even only ever touches one person, it's worth it. It's definitely worth the time. All right. Well, with that, all of that being said, I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful day at the beginning of this week. Um, I, as always, would implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God. Um, and God willing, I will see you this evening. Um, let's go ahead and close in prayer. This prayer we're going to close with is called Deliverance. Let's pray. O God of unsearchable greatness, before thee I am nothing but vanity, iniquity, perishing, Sin has forfeited thy favor, stripped me of thy image, banished me from thy presence, exposed me to the curse of thy law. I cannot deliver myself and am in despair, but a resource is found in thee, for without my desert or desire thou didst devise an everlasting plan, honorable to thy perfections, and which angels desired to look into. And the word which announces all the glory of this goodness is nigh me, invites me, beseeches me, May I, a convinced and self-despairing sinner, find Jesus as the power unto salvation, his death the sinner of all relief, the source of all gospel blessings. Help me to repair to that cross, be crucified to the world by it, and in it find deeper humiliation, motivation, I'm sorry, motives to patience and self-denial, grace for active benevolence, faith to grasp eternal life, hope to lift up my head, love to bind me forever, to him who died and rose for me. May his shed blood make me more thankful for thy mercies, more humble under thy correction, more zealous in thy service, more watchful against temptation, more contented in my circumstances, more useful to others. Amen. All right. Have a great one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the 
Monday, February 13th episode, episode 166 of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble, humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find our podcasts over at podcasts, that's with an S, dot strivingforeternity.org. Um, I would definitely recommend that you go over there and take a look. Um, there are some wonderful, wonderful podcasts over there, definitely worth your time. And as I've, as I've said more than once, if you get over there and find somebody you'd rather listen to than me, that's absolutely okay. Um, <laughs> obviously, I listen to theirs rather than mine, too. Um, and the only reason I don't listen to more of the four that I already listened to is because I'm struggling to find the time to fit them all in. Um, but I definitely would love to. So it's definitely worth your time. I want to continue to remind you of the link at the bottom of our show notes. It is for the Vale Valley Baptist Church Give, Send, Go campaign. Give, Send, Go campaign. Uh, what we're striving to do is we're striving to rapidly pay off our mortgage so that we commence, can commence establishment of a Christian classically based school to provide for our community, um, to provide an alternative for the parents out there um, coming from any number of loca any number of situations but that are looking for an alternative for educating their children um, so we're definitely striving to do that what I'd ask you to do first is go ahead and click on that link there's a much more thorough uh, description of what we're trying to do in there and then I, we would ask you to do three things we would ask you to pray for us we would ask you to prayerfully consider giving to us and then we would ask you to pass the link along so others can do the same so again, just wanted to remind you of that. And we're going to be continuing on in our study in John 6 this evening. So let's go ahead and get started. We are going to open up this evening with a prayer from Valley of Vision called Self-Knowledge. Self-Knowledge. Let's pray. Searcher of hearts, it is a good day to me when you givest me a glimpse of myself. Sin is my greatest evil, but thou art my greatest good. I have cause to loathe myself and not to seek self-honor. For no one desires to commend his own dunghill. My country, family, church fare worse because of my sins. For sinners bring judgment in thinking sins are small, or that God is not angry with them. Let me not take other good men as my example, and think I am good because I am like them. For all good men are not so good as thou desirest, are not always consistent, do not always follow holiness, do not feel eternal good in sore affliction. Show me how to know when a thing is evil, which I think is right and good. How to know when what is lawful comes from an evil principle, such as desire for reputation or wealth by usury. Give me grace to recall my needs, my lack of knowing thy will in Scripture, of wisdom to guide others, of daily repentance, want of which keeps thee at bay, of the spirit of prayer, having words without love, of zeal for thy glory, seeking my own ends, of joy in thee and thy will, of love to others, and let not, and let me not lay my pipe too short of the fountain, never touching the eternal spring, never drawing down water from above. Amen. All right, our evening devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening from Fe for February 13th. The text is from Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation. Come, my soul, think thou of this believing I'm sorry. Come, my soul, think thou of this. Believing in Jesus, thou art actually and effectually cleared from guilt. Thou art led out of thy prison. Thou art no more in fetters as a bond slave. Thou art delivered now from the bondage of the law. Thou art freed from sin and canst walk at large as a freeman. 
Thy Savior's blood has procured thy full discharge. Thou hast a right now to approach thy Father's throne. No flames of vengeance are there to scare thee now. No fiery sword, justice, cannot smite the innocent. Thy disabilities are taken away. Thou wast once unable to see thy Father's face. Thou canst see it now. Thou couldst not speak with him, but now thou hast access with boldness. Once there was a fear of hell upon thee, but thou hast no fear of it now, for how can there be punishment for the guiltless? He who believeth is not condemned, and cannot be punished, and more than all the privileges thou mightest have enjoyed. If thou hadst never sinned, art thine now that thou art justified? All the blessings which thou wouldst have had if thou hadst kept the law, and more, are thine because Christ has kept it for thee. All the love and the acceptance which perfect obedience could have obtained of God belong to thee because Christ was perfectly obedient on thy behalf, and hath imputed all his merits to thy account, that thou, might, that thou mightest be exceeding rich through him, who for thy sake became exceeding poor. O oh, how great the debt of love and gratitude thou owest to thy Savior! A debtor to mercy alone, of covenant mercy I sing, nor fear with thy righteousness on, my person and offerings to bring. The terrors of law and of God, with me can have nothing to do. My Savior's obedience and blood, hide all my transgressions from view. All right. Like I said, we're going to continue on in our study of John chapter 6. Mm. Mm, needed coffee. Um, like I said, continuing on in our uh, study of John chapter 6. We're considering continuing on in this section um, that I termed, and the, the, like I said, these these terms and headings are from John MacArthur, um, but they're they're very very good, and I'm going to use them. Um, and this is the section that it, that we're seeing. This is following on the feeding of the five thousand, and we're seeing the response of true and false disciples. So we're dealing with the true disciples first, and last evening we dealt with the supernatural. Uh, what was it called? Um, Oh, that bothers me that I forgot. Uh, it was the supernatural sign. Sorry, it just came to me. We we saw the super supernatural sign. We dealt with the supernatural sign. So today we're going to deal with the response of the true disciples, the response of the true disciples. So Jesus and his disciples had gone over to the northeast shore of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus had healed and taught the crowd, that fickle crowd that we've talked about. And Jesus had tested the faithless disciples. But then even in the face of that, Jesus had performed the miracle that provided, provided the fulfilling dinner. He fed the 5,000, and like we talked about, it was actually more like fifteen to 20,000 with all the women and children counted in. And he fed all of them and had 12 baskets of leftovers from basically the equivalent of five Twinkies and two sardines. And then we finally see in that, in, the, in that scenario, we see the fickle crowd try to perform a false coronation, which Jesus stopped. We saw that in verse 15. So Jesus, knowing that they were going to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. So then we hit verses 15 through 21, and, or 16 through 21, and I'm going to read them and then I'm going to continue with, with my introduction here. So uh, John 6 verse 16. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, and after getting into a boat, they began to cross the sea to Capernaum. It had already become dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them, and the sea was stirred up because a strong wind was blowing. Then when they had rowed about twenty-five or thirty stadia, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, and drawing near to the boat, 
and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. So they were willing to receive him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. So again, like we said, we saw, like when we discussed last evening, um, Jesus then sent the disciples away to Capernaum and dismissed the crowd. And, and that's what we saw, especially as we, as we brought in the other Gospels. He sent the disciples away. He sent them away. And it, it was they were reluctant. It, it was a coercion to send them away. We looked at the Greek there. He sends them away to Capernaum, and then he di- dismisses the crowd and retreats for some t- private time, and I'm sure for some communion with God, though the Bible doesn't specifically say that. Um, and we saw how that he sent them away to try to remove them from what Matthew Henry calls um, um, irregular. That's what he called it, an irregular zeal. Because um, like I said, this fickle crowd, the reason they tried to perform this coronation the time of Passover was a huge time of national pride. And they saw this guy that was basically going to be nanny state for them that could take care of them, would heal them all, would provide them food, would take care of everything so they could sit around and do nothing. So, oh boy, all of our needs are taken care of. So they wanted to make him king. Well, that wasn't what was supposed to happen. Thus, Jesus stopped it from happening. So he sends the disciples away, and, and many commentators comment on this, that he sent them away to get them away from that zeal because all of a sudden Jesus was getting getting the accolades he deserved. So it would have been really, really easy for them to jump right into the middle of that um, and get involved in that. And he wanted to, to distance them from that. So that's why he sends them off. It's not just go away. I don't want to see you anymore. It's like, I need to get you out of here. I'm going to get you over to Capernaum. And then I'm going to get rid of this crowd. I'm going to dismiss them. And he's dismissing them so they don't try to take him. And then he retreats up to the mountain. And we saw as the disciples head off across the Sea of Galilee, we see them rowing dead on into a sudden and very rough storm and making almost no headway towards the destination. Then Jesus comes walking across the water, coming towards them out of the storm. And to them, it looks like a ghost. So they're terrified as we would have been. And again, I talked to that, you know, think about it the kind of storms that spin up on the Sea of Galilee, um, you're talking, they probably, in in some cases, they could barely see beyond the gunnels of the boat, the the hull there that they're sitting within. They could probably barely see beyond that with, with all the rain and wind and everything else. And here comes this figure walking out of the storm, this figure walking out of the storm, a man walking where no man should be. So needless to say, they're terrified. I mean, we would have been too. But as I pointed out last evening, even in their time of need, and they had to be scared. I, I pointed that out to you. You know, you, you've got, yeah, you've got four professional fishermen um, in the middle of all, the, you know, in this group, uh, at least four professional fishermen in this group. But believe me, the, the storms that spin up, like I said, the storms that spin up then, spin, spun up then on the Sea of Galilee and that still do. Um, I would call them widow makers. I mean, they, they are ship sinkers, no matter how good and how new the ships are. They're ship sinkers. They want to put them on the bottom. And it's my understanding there are a good number of ships on the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. So they're scared. They're scared in general. And they're rowing like crazy and barely making any headway to get to shore so they can get out of the boat and be safe. And here comes this person walking out of, walking out of the storm at them. So they're terrified. But in their time of need, Jesus comes to them. So what we're going to look at in our time together this evening is the response of these disciples. And again, I'm going to read verses 20 and 21. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. 
So they were willing to receive him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. So like I said, of course they're scared, as we all can be in the middle of sudden and terrifying storms of our everyday existence. And you know what I'm speaking of. I'm not speaking of actual storms, though that can be scary too. But especially the way our world's going right now. But the fact is, even in times before now, um, people have ended up in storms in their lives, sudden and terrifying storms that come out of nowhere in our lives. Um, so, so the metaphor there for us, I mean, it's obviously not a metaphor for them, but it is for us. The metaphor of storms tossing us to and fro in our lives, they can be terrifying. But we see Jesus in verse 20 call out to them, it is I, do not be afraid. And while this isn't going to be some master class in Greek, we do need to look at the Greek here because the Greek says much, much more than the English translation. So let's look at the first part of Jesus' statement. It is I. The Greek here is ego eimi. Basically, it, it is I it is or I am I am. Actually, both words there basically translate as I am. So it's, it's even a rep, repetition, ego eimi. Now, this is the same Greek text that is used in the statements, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. And there are many, many others. Um, typically, you know, they do big word studies about the I am statements. All of those I am statements, if you ever look up one of those studies, it's this same Greek, ego eimi. Now, to fully understand this, we need to go back to the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which was being used at that time, at first century, in the first century. Yahweh, that word for God, Yahweh was translated into the Greek language with that same construct, ego eimi, which can be translated, I am who I am. And we remember, remember him saying that I am who I am in our English translations. As R.C. Sproul indicates, almost every commentator recognizes that when Jesus said all of those I am statements, he was saying the divine name for himself, Yahweh. However, they don't do the same thing in this case. But I would agree with R.C. Sproul when he indicates that Jesus is saying here to his di disciples, don't be afraid, I am who I am. He was declaring to them that he was God and that they were going to be okay. And doesn't he do that for us in the middle of our storms? If we truly get out of our own way and stay in the word of God and in prayer, doesn't he say to us, I am who I am. Do not be afraid. And here comes the response in verse 21. So they were willing to receive him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Their response, the response to the miracle they had just witnessed, was the response of the true disciple of Christ. They were willing to receive him into the boat. We even see in Matthew that Peter was in such a hurry to be near his Lord and Savior that he asked for Christ to allow him to get out of the boat and walk on the water as well to come to him. We even see it in another instance where he dives out of the boat, um... I think, oh, yeah, it's um, John 21, um, after the resurrection. Peter dives out of the boat in his clothes and swims across the water to get to the beach because the resurrected Christ is standing there on the beach. 
But we see him here. He's in such a hurry that he wants to get out of the boat. He wants to pile overboard and go to Christ and walk to Christ. Matthew 14, verses 28 through 31. And Peter answered and said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And getting out of the boat, Peter walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and beginning to sink. He cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and they and took hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Yeah, he kind of falls down here when he lets the wind and the waves distract him. But don't we? Don't we? Daily? Hourly? Minutely? Don't, don't we do the same thing? We let the wind and the waves of this world suck us away from our hope and our faith in Christ. That God and, and, and that God intends all things for our spiritual good. He makes very, very clear that we shouldn't worry about that which can strike us physically. But what we should be concerned about is that what goes after our soul. That's what that what goes after our spirit. That's what we should be concerned with. And God, if we are true believers in God, if we are true disciples, then that shouldn't be something we have to worry about. Here's Peter not worrying about sinking in the water, at least not at first, and going, Lord, please call me to you so I can come. And Peter gets out of the boat and he walks on the water. Peter is allowed here to be part of the miracle. But then the things of the world upset him a bit like they do us. But even in that case, he still responds as a true disciple by calling out, Lord, save me. He calls to the to his Lord. He calls to Christ as we should. And as Jesus always does, as the Holy Spirit always does, as God always does, he stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said it to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And brings him with him into the boat. He takes care of him. He takes care of his own. And then we see the end of verse 21. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Um, some of the others, um, Matthew and Mark speak of that when he stepped into the boat, the wind stopped, the storm stopped. So there, there's a number, number of commentators. I know Dr. MacArthur or John MacArthur speaks of it this way. Um, I think RC Sproul does as well, but I could be wrong there. Um, but they speak of this being even another miracle. The storm stops. And in the case of John MacArthur, he speaks of, and, and, and it does say that here in John and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Immediately the boat went from where it was out in the middle of the sea to being right where they intended to go. Um, whether that really meant, meant it, it in a flash was there or whether it meant that all of a sudden, all the resistance, all the resistance that was keeping them from their destination was removed. And isn't that what happens in our life? When we turn around, it, it's not that things get perfect, but when we turn around and put our trust and our faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and we, when we focus on the godly, when we focus on the spiritual, when we truly, like um, Matthew 6, the end of Matthew 6 speaks of, that seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. When we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, don't all those resistances, don't all those... those um, things that slow us down and block us, don't they tend to get shoved aside? Again, like I said, not everything is perfect, but even in the midst of the storm, even in the midst of the wind and the waves, 
there's a calmness and a peace as we move forward through them to our destination. And in many cases, our progress towards that destination is faster, is quicker, gets there sooner. And we get there manifesting that we are imitators of God, that we are imitators of Christ. We manifest that hope that is in our salvation. That's the response of the true disciple. And that's the response these these gentlemen, these disciples show here by bringing him, by being willing to receive him into the boat, by asking him into the boat, even by Peter going, please command me to come to you on the water and walking on the water to him. And even when he starts to stumble, Lord, save me. That's the response of the true disciple. And that needs to be our response. One that we know Jesus is coming to us as we see, we've got that example right here, that he comes to us in the middle of the storm. But then when he comes, we ask him into the boat. We get, we get in such a hurry to be near him. We want to pile out of the boat to come to him. And that as we stumble along and struggle at times, we call out, Lord, save me. Because he will. He will take care of us. He will watch over us. The Holy Spirit within us will shape us and mold us to make us true sons of God. All right. Well, thank you for spending this time with me this evening. We're going to go ahead and close out with the second day evening prayer. Again, I hope you have a wonderful evening and God willing, I will see you in the morning. We're going to close with the second day evening prayer. It's called Bounty. Let's pray. Thou great and only potentate, thou hast made summer and winter, day and night. Each of these revolutions serves our welfare and is full of thy care and kindness. Thy bounty is seen in the relations that train us, the laws that defend us, the homes that shelter us, the food that builds us, the raiment that comforts us, the continuance of our health, members, senses, understanding, memory, affection, will. But as stars fade before the rising sun, thou hast eclipsed all these benefits in the wisdom and grace that purposed redemption by Jesus thy Son. Blessed be thy mercy that laid help on one that is mighty and willing, one that is able to save to the uttermost. Make us deeply sensible of our need of his saving grace, of the blood that cleanses, of the rest he has promised, and impute to us that righteousness which justifies the guilty, gives them a title to eternal life and possession of the Spirit. May we love the freeness of salvation and joy in its holiness. Give us faith to grasp thy promises that are our hope. Provide for every exigency and prevent every evil. Keep our hearts from straying after forbidden pleasures. May thy will bind all our wishes. Let us live out of the world as to its spirit, maxim, manners, but live in it as the sphere of our action and usefulness. May we be alive to every call of duty, accepting without question thy determination of our circumstances and our service. Amen. All right. You have a wonderful evening, and I will see you, to, I'll see you tomorrow morning. Have a good one. God bless. Thank you.